What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are, and it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine, enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to the Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Politics by Faith, the long-form episode. We have the daily, shorter episodes, and then we have the twice-a-week, longer episodes here just for you, just for the podcast, and I'm grateful you're here. It's brought to you by Patriot Gold Group and Public Square. There is a lot to be angry about right now. A lot to be grateful for, of course. But anger is a overwhelming emotion. It's a very motivating emotion. It's a captivating emotion. This is why a lot of snake oil salesmen use anger to captivate us, to hook us, and then manipulate us. See it in the media all the time. Can you believe that they did that? Just three stories from this morning that I got angry about. Uh, I'm thinking about the debt ceiling in D.C. There's so much betrayal. All oh, It's just a mess. And the Democrats do this all like self-righteous. Oh, can you believe the Republicans would be willing to default on the debt of the United States of America? It's like, God, are you kidding me? You're the ones who keep spending all this money that puts us in this position every year. There's been a lot of senseless murders lately like the, the guy in texas the neighbor goes to the fence and says hey man can you stop shooting your gun we have a baby over here trying to sleep so then he walks over to their house and murders five of the people in the house including an eight-year-old shoots him in the head and then he's on the loose i'm talking right now and they, they haven't even found him this happened on friday i'm recording this monday night and it's like fine and then just to make you more angry he's been deported Four times. How can that be? Four times. This murderer has been deported four times to Mexico and he keeps coming back. He keeps, he's able to come back. I read early on, don't know if this one is true, but the last time uh, he was deported maybe was 2006. So all that time he's able to come back many times and then just stay here for that long. Unbelievable. He came over a fifth time. That makes me angry. 
the military found another unidentified balloon flying over Hawaii. We're back to the balloons. And they don't even know. They don't know what it is. They don't know who it belongs to. They don't know anything. And it's just, oh, we are just being led by inept people. So I get angry that we have a system that has turned into this. It's just it's just such a far cry from our founding father. And, and uh, I don't know. Is it just me? <laughs> Is it just... I'm the only one feeling this just like low grade malaise of anger. I don't know where you are. It's somewhere between anger simmering deep below to, oh no, it's boiling on the surface later. Either way, anywhere in between, it's not good. So let's talk about it. We've played a couple clips from Tucker Carlson's final speech that he gave as an employee of Fox News. Uh, He was speaking at the Heritage Foundation, 50th anniversary dinner. And there's a couple of great clips. I don't think we've played this one, but this is an important one because some people are saying that this is maybe not the thing that got him fired, but the type of talk that got him fired. He's talking about good and evil. What you're watching is not a political movement. It's evil. So if you want to assess, and I'll put it in non, and I'll stop with this. I'll put it in non, I'll put it in non-political, or non, rather non-specific theological terms, and just say, if you want to know what's evil and what's good, what are the characteristics of those? And by the way, you know, I I think the Athenians would have agreed with this. This is not necessarily just a Christian notion. This is kind of a, I would say, widely agreed upon understanding of good and evil. What are its Products. What do these two conditions produce? Well, I mean, good is characterized by order, calmness, tranquility, peace, whatever you want to call it, lack of conflict, cleanliness. Cleanliness is next to godliness. It's true. It is. And evil is characterized by their opposites. Violence, hate, disorder, division, disorganization and filth. So if you are all in on the things that produce the latter basket of outcomes, what you're really advocating for is evil. That's just true. I'm not calling for religious war, far from it. I'm merely calling for an acknowledgement of what we're watching. One side's like, no, no, you know, I've got this idea and we've got this idea and let's have a debate about our ideas. They don't want a debate. Those ideas won't produce outcomes that any rational person would want under any circumstances. Those are manifestations of some larger force acting upon us. It's just so obvious. It's completely obvious. And I think two things. One, we should say that and stop engaging in these totally fraudulent debates where we are using the terms that we used in 1991 when I started at Heritage, as if maybe, you know, I could just win the debate if I marshaled more facts. I've tried that, doesn't work. And two, maybe we should all take just like 10 minutes a day to say a prayer about it. I'm serious, like why not? And I'm saying that to you, not as some kind of evangelist, I'm literally saying that to you as an Episcopalian. The Samaritans of our time. 
I'm coming to you from the most humble and lowly theological position you can. I'm literally an Episcopalian, okay? And even I have concluded it might be worth taking just 10 minutes out of your busy schedule to say a prayer for the future. And I hope you will. People got turned, or people get turned off by that language of good and evil. It makes people very uncomfortable. Christians shouldn't. Christians should not get uncomfortable when talking about good and evil. We need to have more maturity and discernment and confidence when it comes to talking about this. Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Not wishy-washy, not, oh, I don't want to say, stand firm. Having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith in all circumstances with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Oh, I don't know. Evil and good makes me feel uncomfortable. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly, and this is true for you, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. <laughs> yes, there are some people who may support a policy. Let's just say transgender kids. They may support a policy that they haven't thought through and they may not know any better and they just want to be seen as nice and it hasn't really affected them personally so they don't really get it and they say they support it. Is that an evil person? No. They're not evil. They're misguided, certainly. But then, <laughs> some people are actively involved and pushing evil things and that is more than just misguided. That is evil. We must admit well, maybe first we must be aware that evil exists and then we must be able to admit that evil exists and not be afraid to say it. Far from this modern idea that evil doesn't exist, evil is pervasive. It's everywhere. It's inside all of us. It's personal and it's spiritual and it carries on. Solzhenitsyn said that the problem with revolution is, uh, his quote is, they destroy only the carriers of evil. <laughs> so the, the person may die, but the evil lives on. So what's really going on with this? this listen, we're so far away from f battling good and evil. We're in a culture today where we can't even admit that that even exists, that there even is evil. So, so who do you think will win? I remember, so I just a quick flashback to the war on terror. And there were people on the left who wouldn't say Islamic extremists and the claim from the conservatives were you're not going to win <laughs> if you can't even say what it is like what are you fighting against even the war on terror itself like what do you mean terror you can't fight a war 
against terror. What, what are you even talking about? Like define what we're talking about. And it's the same thing with our country today. We can't even define evil. We can't even admit that it exists. My concern is in our modern world, which prioritizes being nice over everything else. Tolerance isn't even enough. Tolerance has been replaced with affirmation of acceptance of everything all the time, no matter how deviant, how perverted, how sinful, how just dumb, how wrong or evil, you must actively affirm always. So the concern is that because you just have to be nice, that this concept of evil is therefore mean. And if you speak in terms of good and evil, you're called a bigot and an extremist and you're shut down. It's funny. Like if you say good and evil and you like, you're talking about these terms, they say, Oh, that's you're being exclusionary and, and you're shutting down debate. And you're like, well, no, you're shutting me down. <laughs> I'm trying to define some terms here. If you see things in terms of good and evil, your opinion doesn't count because apparently you think you're better than everyone else or you're too extreme and you're like, no, I just have moral clarity. I, I have moral clarity on this issue and I have a conviction that this is wrong and, and I, I have some wisdom here of a better way. That's all. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're a bigot extremist. Not moral clarity, conviction, and wisdom is actually what I have. Moral evil has dominated human life. Genesis 8.21, the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. There's three types of evil. You have uh, your natural evil, that's disease, disaster, catastrophes, that all comes from the fall as well. Then you have moral evil. And that's, I mean, we see it all the time. We see it everywhere. It's, it's every human person and every human relationship. Therefore, because every human relationship is just collisions of immoral people. <laughs> And then you have supernatural evil. This is demonic evil. John 8, 44, uh, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are uh, of your father, the devil. First John 5, 19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. I know we've talked about Judas a couple times in the last week, uh, but Luke 22, 3 says, then Satan entered Judas, one of the 12, entered him. Fascinating detail right there. So yes, there's evil in the world. I mean, that's like, well, is there evil in the world? You're not even allowed to say there is. What are you talking about? Is there, isn't there? It's everywhere and it's inside all of us and we have to hate it. We have to have a moral clarity against it and we have to have a conviction against it. We must hate it and it's okay to be angry about it. And that's what I want to talk about today. Righteous anger. Let's lament first though. Let's lament. Let's lament all this brokenness. I want to talk about uh, Homer and Achilles here in just a minute and see there's, there's four ways that Achilles' anger led to even worse destruction. And I want to see which of these relate most to your life. But first, I want to tell you about Patriot Gold Group. We have more banks being taken over by the federal government. <laughs> It's like, this is fine. We have more failed banks. I guess First Republic Bank was seized by the feds and then sold to JP Morgan. And okay. <laughs> oh, it's, all, it's fine. And Biden says, no, the system is safe and sound. Do you believe them? you believe any of them? 
I don't. See if gold is wise for you and your family. Consider it. I could tell you it's been around for a while. Patriot Gold Group is, well, it's where I bought gold. I think they're the best. I'm not going to mess around with anyone less than the best. Why would I, why would I not go to the best? So I went to the best, and I'm telling you who I went with. Patriot Gold Group. They have a no-fee-for-life IRA where your IRA or 401k can be put in physical gold or silver, and you may be eligible for a no-fee-for-life IRA and qualifying rollovers. That's good. Or you can just buy gold and just have it, and they mail it to you. A FedEx truck shows up and gives you gold. <laughs> You're like, huh? This doesn't, this seems like illegal, but that's, 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 that's certainly not. Well, not not now. For now it isn't, I should say. Uh, FDR made it illegal to own gold physically. 888-617-6122. Get a free investor guide. Start there. Patriot Gold Group, Consumer Affairs top-rated gold IRA dealer six years in a row. I told you they're the best. one 888 6122-888-617-6122. Tell them you know Mike Slater, patriotgoldgroup.com. So in Homer's uh, The Iliad, it's a great description of how rage and anger, it's all-consuming. The opening word of The Iliad is wrath. It's the first word in the whole thing. It's long, <laughs> but Homer went with wrath. As the very first word. So I got four examples of uh, the wrath of Achilles here. And I want to see which one of these four you can relate to the most. So you can look back on the anger, the, the times when you've been angry in your life. And then also, if you're angry right now. So the very first one is, dear childhood friend died in battle. His name was Patroclus. So here's from uh, the Iliad. Achilles was now beside Patroclus, weeping bitterly. He laid his hands on his chest and held them there for a long time as if warming them out of fire. Patroclus, he cried, dearest friend, since I left you last, I have come to know the full extent of my anger. It has brought me nothing but pain and grief, and now it has cost you your life. So anger can bring pain to others around you, those closest to you. Have you ever experienced that? Okay, we don't want that. So let's table that. We'll get back to it. Uh, Achilles was also angry at the Trojans for killing his fellow Greeks. Achilles was burning with anger. He stood on the high ramparts looking out over the plain and shouted to the gods of Olympus, Father Zeus, if you have ever, ever granted me a prayer, grant me this. Let me take revenge on these Trojans for they have killed my friends and stripped them of their armor. So there's anger again. Uh, and again, not helping. So anger can hurt not only the people you, you love the most, those closest to you, friends or family, but any group you're a part of, any community you're a member of and, and your country, just it, it derails the mission you're on in life, consumes you and takes you to places you don't want to go. We'll get to that in a minute. A third example, his rage in battle. Thus spoke Achilles and led the way in the forefront of the battle. And the earth groaned beneath the tread of the warriors as they rushed to the fight. And the dust rose up like a thick cloud as the Trojans and their allies advanced to meet them. And in the midst of the conflict, Achilles raged like a lion that has been wounded by hunters and fights with double fury. Anger makes you go berserk, makes you lose your mind and do things you would never dream of doing nor should you do and the fourth example is the beginning of the entire thing it's the opening line of the epic poem agamemnon took his war prize and 
uh, Achilles took it as an affront to his honor. This is the opening line. Sing, goddess, the anger of Achilles that brought countless ills upon the Achaeans. Many a brave soul did it send hurrying down to Hades, and many a hero did it yield a prey to dogs and vultures. So Achilles' wrath didn't help anything. Sent them all down a path. That's at a point you just can't get back from. Has either of those happened to you? Just examples of where your anger doesn't help. I lament that, all of it, inside of us. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the hearts of fools. I don't want to be a fool. But hold on, Slater. Not all anger is bad because Jesus got angry. So how do we make sense of this? All right, let's pivot to the biblical stuff here. So my conclusion here uh, is that it's okay to get angry just for the right reasons and in the right way. And the Bible's clear about this. Well, the Bible's full of wrath. <laughs> so, that's the first. so God's wrath is just. That's the first point. Romans 2, 5, Paul says, uh, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, means uh, you feel no shame, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So it will be revealed. And you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. <laughs> There's more wrath coming. Proverbs twenty four twelve says, if you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Yes, he will, is the answer to that. The main difference, one of the main differences, but I think the biggest difference between, between the Greek and Roman gods, we are talking about Zeus a second ago, right? And God is the uh, like Roman, uh, that's what I'm looking for, uh, when they're fake. What's the fake gods? Mythology. The mythological gods, they were fickle and irritable and acted on whim and they were just people. They were just like acting like people to just had like power. God never does that. God is not fickle. He, he does not act on a whim. His wrath, in the words of J.I. Packer, is a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. It's a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. And second point, God's wrath is love. His wrath is just and it is loving. He must act justly to judge sin. Otherwise, he wouldn't be God or good or loving. And Jesus did the same. Jesus got angry too. People only refer to him as the Prince of Peace, but he's also the King of Righteousness. Matthew 18, 6. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. That's a better outcome than what is going to happen to you. Dane Ortland makes an important point. He says, Jesus says this not because he gleefully enjoys torturing the wicked, but because he loves little children. It's the love. People today, just in our politics, they, they focus on the wrath, but they when they and how bad that is. But what they don't realize is that 
The wrath comes from love. I'll just give you a simple example. So let's say someone murders someone and people focus on how mean it is to sentence the murderer to life in prison. But what about the family of the people he murdered? So people's desire to not have a righteous anger at the murderer and not to seek justice is leading them to not act lovingly towards the victims. So you have to balance both of those, Matthew 23, 13, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, uh, convert someone, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. <laughs> that's, that's not nice talk from Jesus, right? That's not like, woe to you. <laughs> you right? like that's, this isn't nice. Oh, Jesus, you're being very judgy. Yeah. How about the famous scene of Jesus flipping tables? Not nice. Come on, Jesus, control yourself. He was. He was perfectly under control. John 2.14, in the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords He drove them all out of the temple with a whip with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables and told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. This visual of Jesus sitting there making a whip himself. (laughs) Why did he do this? And why didn't he just do it nicer? Because he knew what mattered. He knew what mattered. The temple The Lord's house, his father's house was a house of prayer. By the way, our churches today, many have forgotten their true purpose. It's not a social club. It's not a babysitting event. It's not uh, a place to be entertained. It's a place to praise God. And it's time that we clear out all the lies from the church and clear out all the corruption from our government, from DC, from the media, from everywhere. There needs to be a clearing out of the temple and a draining of the swamp. We need to demand more. Let me, because here's what happens. When you clear out and you demand more, you get clarity and conviction. A righteous anger that doesn't turn into sin, we'll get to that in a second, but a righteous anger properly acted upon leads to clarity and conviction. Here is Martin Lloyd-Jones. I was able to find his actual sermon. This is, I don't know, maybe 19... 30s or 40s or something like that. Uh, and, and listen to him talk about what happens during a proper restoration, a proper clearing out. Go back and read your history. Read about the Protestant Reformation. What did it lead to? Well, amongst other things, you know, it did lead to the Elizabethan period. Once you are right at the center, once the temple is cleansed and reformed and renewed, It percolates through the whole of life. There's a new tone. Where there is vision, the people succeed. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And this is the supreme need of the hour. To recapture the vision. To turn back to him and allow him to act and to speak to us. And to cleanse and to drive out. And then I say, you will get what you had 
Following the Protestant Reformation, you had exactly the same thing in the Puritan era. You can laugh at the Puritans if you like, my friends, but never forget this, that the Cromwellian period, the period of the Commonwealth, was one of the greatest periods in the whole history of this country. Everybody's agreed, even secular historians, that the basis of this country's greatness was laid down then, when there was a moral tone in the nation, when men and women put God first. Then, I say, the whole nation was elevated. Righteousness exalted the nation. And indeed, it is true to say in a large measure that what was truly great and glorious in the last century was the direct outcome of the evangelical awakening of the 18th century. There is no question about this. It can be established, even historically. Lecky, the historian, tells us that it was that and that alone that saved this country from something similar to what happened in the French Revolution. And other historians will tell you the same thing. The fount, the origin, the source, not only of greatness in a national sense, but the enlightenment of the people. I've been saying the same thing about, and this is why I've been focused so much lately on, on Puritans and uh, the, the, the preaching from America's true founding, like the 1600s, early 1700s, because they laid the groundwork for our founding fathers. So I've been very focused on our founding grandfathers and great grandfathers and, and the people who laid the moral foundation that, that our founding fathers were born into, that gave them clarity and conviction. And they were angry at the, the, the right people for the right reasons. So my point of all this is it's okay for humans to get angry. In fact, it's, Essential, because here's the problem. The people who say, oh, you're talking about more uh, good and evil. Uh, that's not right. You don't know. You can't judge. What that does is it turns them into uh, people of indifference. And that's like awful. You know, like that's terrible. Indifference. Like wake up. Wake up and make a stand. Take a stand on these. Impo- you know, not on everything necessarily. If you don't know all the facts or whatever, that's fine. But on the things that are obvious and that matter, Take a stand. This is B.B. Warfield. He's a, he was a professor at the Princeton Cemetery. This is like late 1800s. He says, it would be impossible, therefore, for a moral being to stand in the presence of perceived wrong, indifferent and unmoved. If you are a moral being, you should not stand, you should not be able to look at evil and be indifferent and unmoved. Precisely what we mean by a moral being is a being perceptive of the difference between right and wrong, <laughs> right? So if, if you're unable to determine or to, to see the right and wrong, you're not a moral being. And not only determining the difference between right and wrong, but reacting appropriately to right and wrong. The emotions of indignation and anger belong therefore to the very self-expression of a moral being as such and cannot be lacking to him in the presence of wrong. You have clearly a deceived world telling uh, you that there's no such thing as evil. You can't, how dare you even say such a thing? You're a bigot and trying to silence you. That is tr- that, that is an effort to make you no longer a moral being. That is an effort to silence you and make you indifferent and meaningless and to, to doubt and to not have conviction and not have moral clarity. And then what are you? The Bible, on the other hand, is very clear. Psalm 4.4, 4, 
David says, be angry and do not sin. The Hebrew word here for be angry uh, is, it means to tremble, to be troubled, to shake, to quake, to be perturbed, to quiver uh, with, in, with anger, right? So care, right? Like have conv- like care about what's happening in front of you. Care about it. Be angry. Be perturbed. Tremble. Shake at what you're seeing. Have the moral clarity to see that this is evil. And while our country's saying, oh, who are you to say? I'm a moral being. I am angry at this because this is bad. This is wrong. This is dangerous. This is evil. Be angry and do not sin. So his point here is it's okay to care a lot. You must, in fact. Just don't go so far as to sin. Ephesians 4.26, be angry. This is in Greek, so it's a different word, but be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So the Bible commands you to be angry. But what do we do with that anger? Well, a couple lines after that Psalm 4.4, he told you, be angry, but don't sin. Offer right sacrifices and put our trust in the Lord. There it is. Put your trust in the Lord. That's the key. So, what's in my control? First, you don't get discouraged. When everyone around you is lukewarm, when everyone around you is, don't be judgy, when everyone around you doesn't have conviction and doesn't care and isn't paying attention, don't let that distract you. Don't let that discourage you. You are called as a moral being. See, a lot of people will say, well, who are you to say? I am a moral being. (laughs) I'm a moral American human being. That is who I am to say. Oh, who are you to say? I'm a moral being. So don't get discouraged by people who are not. That's the first thing. Are you angry today? Why? Is it righteous? Here's a good tip. Is it about you? If it's about you, it's probably not righteous. Could be, could be, could be. Don't get me wrong. But like that's a first hint of like, meh, just something to be aware of. A yellow flag, not a red flag in the field, a yellow flag. Is it something bigger than you? Is that why you're angry? Okay, that's, that's a better sign. Is this anger leading you to a sinful place? I'm reminded of uh, the story of Catherine of Siena, 1400s. She died when she was 33. She had a stroke at 33. Her final words, she said, Dear children, let not my death sadden you. Rather rejoice to think that I am leaving a place of many sufferings to go to rest in the quiet sea, the eternal God, and to be united forever with my most sweet and loving bridegroom. I leave darkness to pass into the true and everlasting light. I have sinned, O Lord. Be merciful to me. She had a stroke at 33. She wasn't angry. I say that because anger isn't the only emotion, but it may be a good place to start. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, hold fast to what is good. Hold fast to what is good. So let's have moral clarity. Let's have conviction. Let's not be discouraged 
by those who say, who are you to say? Let's have a righteous anger in the right way and then hold fa- and all at the same time while holding fast to what is good. How's that? Let's never turn indifferent. Let's be angry about the things that truly matter. Final thing to meditate on. I just found this uh, hymn. Thy kingdom come, O God. Thy rule, O Christ, begin. Break with thine iron rod the tyrannies of sin. Oh, that's violent. (laughs) Yeah. Break with thine iron rod the tyrannies of sin. Our first sponsor of this podcast is Public Square. Was Public Square. It is Public Square. They're amazing. It's an app. You can download it in the app store for free and it connects you with people who own businesses that share your values. So the Bud Light is just like a perfect example. I love that people are not spending their money on Bud Light. Great. Perfect. But where do you go? Or whatever. Like, like, but it's not just alcohol. It's every business. Every single business has these major players that are that hate you. <laughs> like they just despise everything about you. They have every value you have and they're getting bolder and bolder in speaking against you. So enough already. Public Square, download it, start small like I did. Just hit near me restaurants. And instead of going to some big chain that hates you, go to a local restaurant that shares your values. They have coffee and tea, so just something easy. And then grow from there. And pretty soon, you're only buying things from people who share your values. <laughs> and it's great because money's a tool. And how you spend it matters, not only on what you spend it on, but who you spend it with, who you're giving it to in return for great products, of course, great products and services. And they're all on the app. Download, it's free. Public Square in the App Store, publicsq.com. And if you scroll down, you can see the five values that every business owner has to sign on to in order to be featured in this app. It's nationwide, Public Square, free download in the App Store.